You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone sitting here in the home studio in Brainerd, Minnesota, and, and across world, the table from me, the world headquarters. World headquarters is none other than Joe Minicosi, who whose motto is just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we were going through demotivational posters. We shared these with no little bit of irony with people. Very good. I kind of said this this week in the blog uh, about Randall O'Toole that it might be his place in this world to just serve as like a beacon for others on what not to do, and that that's a useful role in society. We should have people like that. You, you need somebody to jump off the cliff for you, right? Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> I will live in libertarian utopia and coerce my neighbors into pain. <laughs> Well, the irony is he doesn't live in that kind of utopia because it's, it's still a system that he has to drive on. Right. So that was fun to hear him brag about the little computer chip that he has in his car that tracks it yeah. everywhere. I called him on that because I, I wanted his supporters to hear more information about that because it's one of these things where the libertarian, in particular, the privacy freaks, you know, which I, I just said that in like it's a derogatory thing. I'm not really cool with a lot of what the NSA does, and I'm not cool with giving over all of our information to the government. And they're listening either. right now. Hello, NSA. Yeah, hello, NSA. <laughs> Welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. I've got forty dollars in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but for that crowd, which tends to be a little more paranoid than than the average person, to have like their spokesman up there saying, "Yes, put a chip in your car, and the government will track where you go and just charge you by the mile." I was waiting for them to be like, whoa, wait a sec. This isn't what we paid you to come here and well, say. I think you could hear their heads exploding like popcorn <laughs> in the background, like pop, yeah. pop, 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 as, yeah. he, as he said that. And I, I actually totally agree with him on that. I think, the, I think we should do something like that. You should, if you're going to own into the system, you should pay your fair share. Right. I agree with him. I just don't think his audience was ready to say that. In fact, wasn't it, I think it was the president of Go Free Lafayette who stood up during Q&A and she said, we need to stop spending money downtown. My road needs to be paved. Right. And it would have been really fun to say, okay, why don't you do what Mr. O'Toole said and why don't you reach in your own pocket right. and pay for it the way that he did. Although I think one of the really weird ironies about what Randall talked about is he talked about how his neighborhood got together and they just paid for the road. And then, oh, yeah, there were 35% of the people on the street that really didn't want this to happen, but we went ahead and outvoted them. Right. It was like, um, yeah, what about their rights uh -huh. in Mr. Libertarian world? You right. Know, you just, just steamrolled 30% of your street. I'm sure they're happy with you. Well, that, that's the intellectual argument that I, I just broke down on. Because essentially what he was saying was that the lowest level of government should be a property owners association, not a municipality. Okay, Maybe in like a, a fun theory world that makes some sense. Like, okay, well, that, that, that would be really quaint and nice. But the practical nature of that in today and, and, and the difference without a huge distinction as well. I mean, if he can coerce his neighbors into paying for his road because they signed a property owners association agreement 
And the way he would enforce that is by a lawsuit with like huge transaction costs and all that. The leap between that and like City Hall does not seem to be that intellectually huge for me. Am I missing something in his argument? Well, I, you know, how do you scale it up? I mean, it's can you scale it up to a park system or a greenway? It's like, how am I going to agree to a greenway that's on the other side of town that I don't even know exists? You know, it's like. Right. Well, let's let's or the take, school in your neighborhood. Why should I pay for that? Let's take the and not that parks and greenways are necessarily like liberal things, but let, let's take those like happy things off the table and let's just talk about the the road. Right. So you're going to go build out on the edge of town and you're going to have your own dead end cul-de-sac with your own property association that maintains all that. But I'm going to have like the road you drive on to get to town in my libertarian world. And maybe I'll say, sure, it's it's two dollars a trip or one dollar trip to drive my road or 25 cents or what have you. But then after you spend the half million dollars to build your dream house out in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to say, now it's five bucks. Now it's 10 bucks, you know, and it's the market. I'm charging what the market will bear for this. There's more of you out there. So I'm going to you hostage. Well, but then, then I think the comeback will say, well, then someone else will build a competing road that will uh, charge less amount. And like, yeah, but will they? Because they're going to spend all that money and then you can just undercut them with your road. Once you get to like that level of thinking it through, it, it just completely falls apart into – it's basically the transaction costs of it, Right. The world might work that way, but it would be bogged down with negotiations and transactions and, and, and in a way that, you know, just would not make any – it would freeze everything, right? Yeah, yeah. You and I have talked a little bit about the debate, but after it, I was kind of buzzed and hungry and then, you know, we, we left the next morning. Give us your rundown on that whole thing. You know, from my perspective, holding the camera – kind of watching the whole thing. I empathize with the frustration of the, the folks that were, that were championing the Randall O'Toole approach. I agree with a lot of what Randall has to say. I just think that it's a theoretical argument. A lot of, a lot of it is intellectually inconsistent. Mm -hmm. You know, I think even at the end of his presentation um, where he used the, the Denver story and he blamed the mayor for making a screw up and putting the airport in the wrong place, which is totally true. If anybody's ever been to the Denver airport yeah. or if you've visited Denver yeah. and you have to go to the airport, it's like a day event to right. get out to that damn airport. Just to drop your car off, Right, you have to plan like four hours in advance. Well, and it's true that he got the road named after him then and you know became transportation secretary and what have you. Yeah, no, I agree. So the, the graft and the, the politics of it is really crappy. It's, it's ridiculous. And, but you know, on the flip side, so Randall follows that with, they should have listened to the planners because the planners <laughs> were against putting the, hotel, the, the airport out there. It's like, right. well, aren't you labeled the anti-planner? Right. You end your rebuttal. You kind of pick and choose, right? Yeah, you end your rebuttal. Like championing <laughs> planners. I don't get this. So that's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts is, is living in a la-la land and not going and visiting these places. And, and again, maybe I'm biased. You know, I work with you. Right. Um, I, I, working on that project in Lafayette with you. But we have to roll our sleeves up and stick our hands in the engine and kind of get dirty. Right. It's not clean fantasy world. Right. You know, there's humans involved that are doing the best they can. And you have to work with them. You can't just say, oh, and just throw your hand in the air and say, go go change state policy. I mean, I said that last night. Go and change your legislative 
ability to have land value taxation. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. Right. But at least be on your radar screen. But I'm not going to hang my hat on you have to wait until land value taxation changes at a state level before you can actually act. You've got to act today. Right. You know, there's, there's stuff going on today that you need to fix. And that's something that he just doesn't seem to have tolerance for. Right. As if those changes would be the silver bullet anyway. I mean, there's so many other things to do. Yeah. So he's, you know, it's frustrating because it's kind of a little, his argument was a little ivory tower. I was waiting for him to follow with like to add, throw in jet packs and helicopter, personal helicopters right. at some point, because it was a lot of it was fantasy world. And I appreciate the, the, the line of argument, but it does, it just doesn't have a grasp in reality as far as implementation. You were there. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to get the debate on the podcast or have watched the video or what have you, but you were in the room. What do you think the feeling was in the room amongst the people that were there, maybe before and, and after? Before the presentation, it was pretty cordial. It had the feeling of, uh, I mean, it really did feel like you're about to walk into a boxing match. Everybody's kind of like looking for a seat and everybody's yeah. happy and all of this stuff. And everybody was kind of had, there was like this air of smugness. Okay. I, I was going to ask you if you felt that because I, there was a part of me that felt like these guys were looking at me as like the lamb yeah. headed to slaughter, yeah. right? Like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's in for. Yeah. He's going to get clocked. We've got this guy, Randall, that we love. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's cool. You know, on the flip side, there were people that were champions of the project we're working on uh, with them that were there to kind of see what was going down. Yeah. Um, so you had, you know, have, have these camps, but there were, there were a lot of people in the middle that just kind of rolled in because it was on the radio show. Now the radio show that they're listening to has a certain audience demographic. So there's that. Really? You think so? Oh, sometimes now for a commercial break, come down to the monster <laughs> truck rally and debate over land use policy. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there are people that view this discussion religiously and you can't get them off their belief pattern. Yeah. And in fact, I think one of the, one of the things that was kind of frustrating is, and, and this is what we had to do um, with the presentation that happened that afternoon is we had to explicitly write onto the PowerPoint, the options that right. you and I did put out there because we were being misconstrued as saying, Oh, you're only going to raise taxes. Those consultants over there are saying only raise taxes. That's not what we said. Yeah. And it was those folks that were actually on the Randall O'Toole side that were spinning that right. to say, these consultants want to raise your taxes, these evil, you know, liberal consultants taking your tax dollars, right? right. You and right. I, such a left-leaning yeah. hippies. But, well, um, when, you know, the presentation we made was, look, here's why you're broke. Yeah. Here's why you don't have any money. And if you were actually going to try to solve this with tax increases, here's what it would take, which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can't do that. Right. So, you know, we had a, List them out slide by slide yeah. and put words on slides, which drives me nuts. But what right. the hell, that's, you know, that'll help. But there were campaign flyers for folks that are literally running for office in the community that are part of that religion that changed their argument from things need to be about transparency and about data and about knowing the numbers. They flipped from that to it's not about what we're doing. It's about what we believe. Right. Right. So they've, they've right. actually co-opted words of religious tone. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's fine. I, I believe I'm six foot tall. Right. Eventually I walk by a mirror and see that I'm not, you know, it's like, yeah, that's reality. Yeah. You know, maybe that's part of the process. Maybe it's just, it's inevitable that people have a hard time dealing with reality, but those people will stay isolated. And I think that's what happened in the, to me, what's what I think happened in the audience. 
is those that fail to keep an open mind stay trapped in that world. And the moderates will eventually kind of take information because they're not in a religion at this point. Right. You know, they don't want to be sold on one way of thinking. I think that was the part with Randall O'Toole in specific that just frustrated me uh, more than more than more than really anything was when he got up and kind of spun our really deep like technical analysis. Like, okay, um, you, you don't have any money. Here's why you don't have any money. It's it's not because your staff is lazy. There might be some lazy people on the staff, but anytime you get an institution with hundreds of people, you're going to have you know some that should be voted off the island. That, that's the nature of large enterprises, right? It's not because you're, you know, wasteful or slothful or, or, or all the reasons. It, it's because your policies have created for you a situation where you get gains today and, and liabilities tomorrow. And we're now at tomorrow and you've got all this stuff you've got to pay for and, and no financial productivity to do it. And he got up and said, my opponent wants to look at the world through the city's balance sheet, the city's revenues. And I want to look through it for what you want. I, I, you know, I'm more worried about what you want than what the city wants in terms of revenue. And I'm thinking, okay, from a, like a religion standpoint, I get that. Like there, you know, the city, boo us. Yay. But for me, like for you, like the practical nature of it is like, this is a distinction without a difference, right? I mean, who is the city? City the city is you yeah. guys, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the city go broke and we're good. Yay. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, how does that translate? Yeah. It's like, screw the city. <laughs> screw me. <laughs> it's like we're in a ship in the ocean, you know, and it's like, oh. yeah, the ship is sinking raw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's take this ship down to the ground at the bottom. I hate the captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the interaction out in the public interface is kind of, it's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, last night there was presenting here in Brainerd. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I don't agree. Um, well, why? Cause I'm older. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> you got a little taste of my world. Yeah. And it actually was kind of interesting is the, 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 just the, the chit chat before the presentation, that same person told me, why do we need 20 year olds? We worry too much about them. Right. What about, what about me and right. my needs? It's yeah. kind of like, mm, yeah. uh-huh. why do we have children? Why do we worry about children? Right. They don't need to be educated. Yeah. I'm educated. That would, would screw them. Years ago, I gave her one of our, our long serving esteemed council members. Actually for podcast listeners, it's the same woman who in the, in the out music says, Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. She's uh my city council member. Her name is Mary Cope. She is actually, an institution here in town. She's super sweet. She is actually sweet. And I, I do kind of have a soft spot for her, more from a nostalgic standpoint than from a policy standpoint. But I mean, years ago I gave her my theory on essentially in response to that assertion, which her assertion is we worry too much about kids and it's elderly people that we should be more worried about because you know, they're paying the taxes and da da da. I mean, she's in her late eighties. There might be a little generational bias there. What I said to her is, if you're young, you have less vested in the place because you've not been around long, but you have more vested in the future because you have this long future to live. If you're older, you have more vested in the place because you've been there longer. So you kind of have more of a say because you've been there longer, but yet your time remaining is less. And when you balance those two out, they kind of just equal each other, right? Yeah. It really doesn't put one generation's 
value, you know, view and, and needs ahead of another. And she said, well, that's a pretty theory, but I just, I don't believe it. You know? Yeah. After the presentation, she, she literally told me, she's like, you don't understand assessment and taxation. <laughs> like, hmm. <laughs> that's, right. that's interesting. How many, how many assessors uh, conferences is Mary presented uh, in front of? Right. Um, right. Yeah. I guess I don't know what I'm doing. And then the funniest one to me was when she, you said, well, I, you know, I'm using dad and she's like, well, I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm older. I'm like, oh, that's great. You are. Yeah, that's true. That's a true statement. It doesn't uh, mean you're more educated about uh, this stuff. It doesn't mean you know it better. So. Right. And then she told me downtowns were subsidized. And I was like, well, what part of the information that I showed you tonight? Right. And finally, I just had to walk away. I said, look, I'm not going to reach you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate you because you're, <laughs> right. you don't have an open mind on this. So, uh, Sweet Mary. Let's talk a little bit about Chuck the- Marone. This has been fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was on her radio show. That's where that comes from. And then I did like a few months later, they had this thing called the Rosenmeyer forum here, uh, which I ran as a podcast back when I did it. It was a discussion. It was myself, the city planner, who you got to meet last night. And then three women in the city who run like our economic development agency. So there was the head of the chamber, the head of the, with as a Brainerd Lakes Area Economic Development Corporation, and then the third one was the head of our Regional Development Commission. You know, very smart people, obviously very influential here in the city. But it was a it was a four on one debate essentially, four people saying, you know, it, this is standard economic growth policy, what we're doing, it's all good, and me saying like, here's the drawback of this and the drawback of that. And Mary was furious at me. She said, I sat there and badmouthed Brainerd for two hours. And I mean, you know me. Yeah. I'm in a room of like my neighbors and You're I'm so trying. <laughs> I'm just bombastic and over the top. I'm trying to explain like why like the Taco John's 26 year tax subsidy to move it three blocks and devalue the property was maybe not like the best idea. And I mean, you would have thought that I was saying you know, do you know that you're a bastard and that you, you know, your mom slept around? And, I mean, it was like, it was like I was talking about deep family secrets that should never be spoken of out in the open. And she was furious with me, but that's small town, right? Yeah. I want you to share a little bit your impressions. Last night you came to town, you gave a talk. We had well, like 35 people maybe show up. Mm-hmm. Give me impressions of that conversation. And then I want to ask your impressions of of Brainerd in general. I thought it was a great turnout for, I mean, the scale of your community. Yeah. And, and you think of the, the people that were there, you had your city manager there. Oh yeah. Probably the majority of your council was in the audience, which is awesome. Yep. You and I talk about this a lot. We have a lot of parallels with you here and me in Asheville. Right. And how, how we're kind of seen in the lens of our own community. Well, I could go to Asheville and give the curbside chat and have it be like acclaimed as good stuff. Yeah. And you can give your talk, which is fantastic. And no one will, I mean, that's just Joe. Well, yeah. The irony is like the, the head of our local tea party people or the equivalent thereof that it's kind of a, in Asheville to blend of the good old boy network and the tea party. Yeah. Um, the, the, the such a natural pairing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a, yeah. Birds of a feather. Uh-huh. But, um, anyway, so the, the, the reporter who reports for the, the newspaper that's their little voice box, small little newspaper. At the end of your presentation, as we're all walking out, she came up to me and she goes, oh my God, that was amazing. That guy is amazing. 
And she's like, we need to have more people like that talking uh, about stuff in our community because he gets it. Uh-huh. And I was like, Lisa, you know, you know, Chuck and I speak together. She's like, well, I, nah, you're, you're different. Right. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So right. last night I, I kind of got that same sense. You know, you could oh, see yeah. the kind of tension between you and your, your family, yeah. so to speak. And, and a it, lot of people that were there were there for defensive reasons. Yeah. Because, oh, if Marone's holding a meeting... I better make sure I'm there to find out what goes on so I don't hear it through the grapevine. There were even apologies. You know, I made a statement about 6th Street. Yeah. Which is absolutely ridiculous. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, there's just no traffic volume to support the width of that street. And it's harming the real estate adjacent to that. That's, you know, simple planning stuff that you pick up in any conference, any town you go visit, they're struggling to save their main street. You can't do it with a five-lane highway going through your, your main street. Right. It's just the wrong conduit for that land use. You know, like I, I must've answered five different questions on that five different ways. And I think the thing that resonated is when I said to the, to the community, I said, do you want to be a kidney and pass through the people? Or do you want to be a heart and collect them? Right. You know, if you want to be a kidney, yeah, that's the road to do it on. Yeah. You know, if that's all your priority is, is we want to send people as quickly through our town as possible. Yeah. That's a, piss poor way of doing economic development. Sorry. You know, it's just this, you're not capturing any value and you have plenty of buildings there that they're like, well, gee, no one's renting these buildings. It's like, well, why would you, why would you want to have a, 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 a cafe? I mean, actually it's kind of ironic. We went through town yeah, and there's a cafe yeah. in downtown. There's little cafe tables out there. They're not on that street. They're kind of around the corner because the street's unbelievably inhumane. And right. it's not like it's fast moving traffic. It's just, it's just God awful. It's so the, desolate. Yeah. 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 It's 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 barren. It's probably a massive heat island in the summertime. It's, you know, you, you get the pollution and the, 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 the particles that come off the vehicles as they go through. And then, you know, every once in a while there's a tractor trailer. Mm-hmm. Like, does that really need to go through your main street? Yeah. Sitting, if you were to put like a, a nice little table out there, because on the corner there is, the, is a coffee shop. It's actually a fairly successful business, but they have to orient the other way. They can't orient towards what essentially is our main boulevard through town because it's it's nasty if you were to put chairs out there you would have semis going through there at 40 miles an hour six feet away from where you're sitting so i I think what what's happened is just the psychology of being here that 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 road they can't see that road for what it is which is a main trunk main street through your community yeah they see it as a bypass of downtown and downtown's all the stuff to the left of that or just off to the east of it Yeah. yeah so it's kind of just being in a place too long. They, they really do need to get out and go to other places. And I, I tried to show them like, you know, Brevard, North Carolina, which is a very similar scaled town to this place, but they took a totally different attitude to their, their downtown inve- investment. They actually have a state highway going right through the middle of downtown, but they neck it down. They find ways to kind of work with the division DOT to get the DOT to understand we're cool with the traffic going through, but we need to live here. Right. And they're in a much more difficult place because they're surrounded by natu- national forests. They don't have the bypass that you all have. So you have the luxury of a bypass, which could, you can put a sign up, no trucks through downtown. Sorry. You know, you've got a great, huge bypass we built, but now they're doing even or, worse. Or, or maybe even take one of the eight other alternate routes that you exactly. could without going through the middle of the heart. Yeah. Right. And, but the, you know, the downside is, is that there's no coordinated plan out on that bypass. So now what you're getting is you're getting all of the conventional big box stuff out there, which is going to annihilate 
that ability for that bypass to serve as a quote quote bypass. Right. You know. Um, yeah, we've stroded it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure. It, it, you know, I, I think the bigger conversation is why uh, MnDOT doesn't step in at this point and say, "Look, we're not going to have curb cuts onto our bypass anymore." Sorry, you know. Um, but that would be hurting economic development, Joe. And the whole reason for the investment in the first place was economic development. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, no one's no one's fallen through. We that had our before. we had our statewide infrastructure cult lobbying organization called MoveMN. Their like primary leader was on Minnesota Public Radio earlier this year, and they were talking about the need to make transportation investments for economic development. And they asked her to cite, like, when you're talking about this, what are, what are you thinking? And she cited uh, a rail project down in Twin Cities, and then she cited Baxter, Minnesota, as, and I'm going to quote, the classic case of highway equaling economic development. And I mean, you saw it. Yeah. Classic case. <laughs> it, it is a classic case. I don't know if it's, I don't think it meets the needs of what they're really talking about. I mean, if you step back and look at it, yeah, you're, you're growing from essentially semi valueless land out in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's mostly farms or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, we used to have, I mean, the the south of the main intersection there was forest and houses, really. Yeah. Um, there were a whole bunch of houses that were taken as part of the bypass. But to the north of it was a highway with a commercial strip, but at the, an older school highway. So you had like the A&W root beer stand and a, a junkyard and uh, – Steel pole barn buildings and stuff yeah, like that. that yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so when they came through and essentially like up the – you know, up the ante there and made it the big four lane with the divided and the frontage roads and sewer and water and the, the stormwater ponds and the corners and all that. Yeah. So we, we made that like progression up the strode scale. Yeah. It's what, what happens is it's, it's an economic analysis that, that only stops at the first step. Like, okay, we've gone from farms and pole barns and trashy buildings and whatever to, Target and a auto dealership, and, and those are much more valuable investments. And yeah, you've gone from the equivalent of about ten thousand dollars an acre of value to about six hundred thousand dollars an acre of value. But what did it take for you to get there? You know, it's kind of like the equivalent of going zero to sixty, but you've burned twenty five gallons of gas to get there. All right. Versus a, a more efficient car that can go from zero to sixty on, on like a sixteenth of a gallon. Yeah. Like which one is more efficient? There, there is no efficiency gauge on their economic analysis. It's only just looking at this some number, and then not playing it out into the future. Because now you have all of these other lights that you have to build. They're only going to choke off that bypass again, because eventually all that traffic is going to make more signals, and you can't get through anymore. So the whole intent of that, what that bypass was about, isn't going to function. So you have to move the bypass further out. This so is actually it is not in like formal planning. But there's actually been talk of that, which is insane because the bypass was built in the late 90s. We're not even 20 full years into it. And you've gone from having one signalized intersection to having one, two, three, four, five, six signalized intersections, all in the name of essentially economic development or safety yeah. And economic development. Safety because... <laughs> because we've made economic development Because happen. we make economic development happen and people are crashing into each other across on the highway. Yeah. 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 How many people died for economic development? Right. I mean, I, I just laughed. 
that is actually a legitimate question that has a tragic, tragic answer because the answer is many, many people. You, you saw the fleet farm, right? Yeah. Fleet farm actually has its own signalized intersection, essentially 500 feet north of the main highway signalized intersection. And they've got that there because if they didn't, it would be slightly more difficult to get to fleet farm. You, know, you come through, you hit the one light and then you go about 500 feet and there's another light on a highway. She's like from a design standpoint, it makes no sense. But then you go about another thousand feet up and they actually have a left crossover across traffic there. So if you're coming south, right now you can either go to the light, sit and wait for the left arrow and then turn across traffic, which you would do in a normal highway to frontage road kind of situation. Or you could take this little left across and just kind of quickly go across traffic and then zoom right into Fleet Farm. It's a quick, like, quick into Fleet Farm. There have been a dozen. I'm just guessing how many people have died at that little crossover. Uh, when I worked at MnDOT, I did an internship at MnDOT during undergrad school. I- I'm telling you, during the course of summer, there was three, four people who got nailed there. And it's because the cars are moving very quickly. You've got to judge a gap to shoot across two lanes of traffic. There's cars like taking right turns there into that same thing. So you've kind of got this weird and, and a, a lot of elderly people were having a hard, you know, in particular, some young people too are kind of daring, but elderly people have a harder time measuring that gap and how much time they've got. I remember one old, you know, older woman who was killed there, another, you know, older couple who got hit and were in the hospital. So after like a decade or more of this, what did they do? Did they shut that intersection down because it was essentially redundant in the system? No, that would have done damage to economic development. (laughs) So what did they do? They spent half a million dollars actually widening out that turn lane. So to give people better sight distances when they're making that turn, you still have to judge the same gap. You still have the same traffic, but your view is not being blocked by another car doing the same thing going the other way. How many people have died for a, a modicum of really like low value economic development out in on the edge of town? That's a real legitimate question. Well, and it's I mean, if you really want to be um, cold about it. You know, there's there's a number you can put on that. You know, what's what's, yeah. what's the economic value of a human life, right? Um, in society, so I, I will have you know, I will make income over time. I will spend that money at those stores. Yeah. So I'm transferring that wealth. I'm going to make it over time. That cost of that intersection another half a million dollars. All right. So if you add my million dollars of of economic potency in my lifetime, and you just take that away, I've just transferred that million dollars into the adjacent economics around it. So, okay, yeah, we've made a million bucks off the target, but we essentially took Joe for that. Right. And then on top of that, we also paid money for that intersection in the road. So really it's where net sum zero of what our gains are. We just basically, we suck it out of people's lives. But the owner of this store is up and that's the person who shows up at the council meeting to demand that the intersection stay open. Exactly. And the dude that got killed in the car accident is down, but you know, his family will, call it a tragic accident that was unavoidable. Yeah, totally. It was just a luck of, it's just fate. Right. <laughs> you were involved in uh, the schlepping of kids yesterday with me from one school to the other. And you've got the tour of the closed schools now as well. 
what's your impression of the school situation here and how that has kind of impacted this whole conversation? You really need to do a, uh, like a Google map and put it and post it on, on make a blog about it. Show where they're at. Show where yeah. you go and then show all of the empty schools that you have to pass <laughs> in <Right>. the process. <laughs> um, yeah. I never thought of that because we were, as we were driving, I'm like, there's an empty school, there's an empty school, there's an empty school. Well, and there's that, but how many empty buildings too? So, right. so the buildings that like one of the buildings that we took your daughters to were their dance studio, which is out at one Way edge. on the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you've essentially, it's this kind of infrastructure expansion that's happening all for daily needs that can happen within a smaller area. It's sad because it reminds me of my hometown. Um, in my hometown, they, they abandoned and walked away from a historic, uh, high school that's right in the center of the city that 90% of the kids could walk to and built a brand shiny new high school off on the abandoned air force base yeah. that 100% of the kids have to drive or, or but get bus to. So now you've foisted a burden onto families because you know, you, you have kids, there's peer pressure. Somebody else is driving a car. I want a car. So you're taking the most at risk people on the planet, high school students yeah. and encouraging families to double down on their pain and buy their kids used cars, which are usually unreliable. Right. And then you've got these, you know, people that really shouldn't be behind the wheel yet yeah, driving around with each other with all of these other pressures on them or they're taking a bus, which is shunned upon with high school. So, my- and, and, and at that point you have to get up at like the, the crack of dawn, you know, we've got kids getting on the bus at 10 to seven for school that starts at 20 after eight, you know, yeah. why people don't see this and it, you know, it's seeing it happen in your town. It happened in my town. It's hard not to be frustrated um, seeing that because they're seeing the brand new shiny school and saying we have better facilities now. Oh, it's got a planetarium. It's got uh, a nicer cafeteria. It's got um, athletic fields. I mean, these these are all things that parents really like. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, I mean, I like the planetarium. I do. I mean, it's 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 quite nice. But you couldn't find a place to build a planetarium like within a block of the old high school or functionally. I mean, we could have. Here's the here's the problem. We never would have done it. It's kind of like, you know, like you've got the old junky car and you never put the nice stereo in it because it's a, it's a junky car. But then you go buy the brand new car and you're financing it anyway. So what's an extra two bucks a month for like the kick butt stereo yeah, system? Yeah. That's, that's what it is. So as soon as you get to like, we're going to bond this thing, we're going to borrow a ton of money and here's kind of what your payment will be. People are like, let's do the bells and whistles then. I mean, what the heck? I mean, a planetarium, let's go. Huge gym with, you know, all the, the, the bleachers for watching all the events. I mean, we're, we're going to like the premier place now for basketball tournaments and softball tournaments. And why not? You know, why not? I've got equity in my house. I can, I can put an addition on my house. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I've got a, what's my house? 1800 square feet. I'm going to add on another thousand square feet. Why not? Right. I don't have any need for it. Yeah. I can, I can afford it right now. Yeah. I can afford expanding my mortgage, but can I afford maintaining it right. in the future? Is it going to really add value to it? Is it, am I going to use it? The school where my oldest goes, the, the one out in the middle of nowhere. I showed you this morning, all the sewer and water, the, the miles of infrastructure around it. And the fact that, I mean, that's been in the ground now a, a dozen years and the clock is just ticking on all that you drive by these forests and you see these fire hydrants in the forest. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of fascinating. It's like 
these trees are going to spontaneously combust. Well, I guess if you have a forest fire, that's probably cool. Yeah. But that's no, really an I, expensive way to fight it. Yeah. I got hydrants <laughs> every 400 feet in a forest, right? There's a part of me that says, you know, the strong towns movement, these, these ideas that we've developed really needed an extreme example like this, like, like the Brainerd Lakes area in order to really put into sharp relief, uh, you know, what, what exactly was going on because you you, there you have three miles of pipe with nothing anywhere, you know, it maybe will serve a dozen homes. I guess the, the thing that's probably most stark for me here, you know, during Q&A, I don't think anybody here referenced another place. Yeah. You know, it's almost as if, you know, Brainerd's out on its own little island somewhere. Yeah. You know, it's rewind to a couple of days before when I was in Minneapolis, they're talking about all these other places. How do we rank against Seattle? What do we do against Portland? You know, we're doing better than Charlotte in X, Y, and Z. We're doing better than Phoenix in X, Y, and Z. They're almost obsessed with how they're stacking up, but also what can we learn from these other places? In any business, you're doing that. You're looking at your competitors. You're seeing how you're doing. You're not flying blind. Right. You know, to see what you and I see when we travel around, to see that you here are repeating the same mistakes in these other places without any kind of institutional collection or any intellectual curiosity to see these other places. It's almost like... Uh, Just completely unaware. Yeah, just flying totally blind. We're just going to get this this parachute and jump off a cliff and see what happens. It's kind of alarming. You you contrast that with the, the two guys from Fargo that came down. And these are guys that have watched your talks online, have invited me there, and I've, I've given a, a couple of lectures in Fargo on different occasions, are really involved in the Strong Towns movement. You know, they're involved in CNU. They talked about these other conferences they're going to. Well, they're thirsty. Yeah. They're, they're thirsty. They drove here. I mean, they spent four hours in the car yesterday, plus the time here and and to gleam a tiny bit of new knowledge, right? Yeah. It's like, is there, is there a sliver that we could learn? And yeah, I, I think, you know, you're kind of making me even sadder now, but that intellectual curiosity is, is kind of absent here in my hometown. Yeah. yeah I mean, they should get on a plane and go visit my hometown. Like who's, I mean, I, I can tell you my town is worse than this. Right. It's, it's which is really sad. Yeah. Um, that was what, when Grayson came here and I was showing her around. She's like, I thought this was going to be horrible. This is not bad at all. Yeah. This is really nice. And the reality is, is that, yeah, it's actually salvageable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can turn this around. And, and that was actually kind of the focus of my talk last night was showing them Asheville because they could do what Asheville did here. My, my, my hometown, you can't because they tore it all down. Your hometown being Rome. Rome, New, New York. York yeah. yeah. We have a wooden fort where... Our town used to be. And a pedestrian mall. And a pedestrian mall. Well, the pedestrian mall they got rid of. So we oh, spent more money to pull that up. Yeah. Oh. After it killed everything, they're like, oh, oh well, that was stupid. Failed attempt. Yeah. You know what you need? You need my memorial to the <laughs> to the, the planner's remorse memorial. Um, you know, where the, the planners have to go once a year and place a wreath for everything they destroyed. <laughs> I should find out who the planners were that were involved in that. It's, it's just one of these things. It's... You know, it, it's uh, it's ironic that I live in Asheville right now, and Thomas Wolf was from there because yeah. there's there's lessons in Thomas Wolf for both of us. Sure, um, he was a critic of his hometown. Ironically, he made his living 
off slamming his hometown. Right. And his second book was called You Can't Go Home Again because right. people in his hometown hated him. I don't really mess with my hometown yeah. that much. I, I don't think anybody in my hometown is actually listening to this podcast. So they don't necessarily have that kind of issue with me. Sure. They aren't conscious of the fact that I'm showing them in PowerPoints. Right. And I think, generally speaking, all the people that were involved in what happened in my hometown are now gone. And those that are left are just like, what the hell happened? Right. And or, or just are not conscious of the fact that – I mean, I think that's the thing here is that people are conscious of the fact that something's not right, but they're not really able to put like their finger on it in any – tangible way no my my in my hometown it's almost like um some form of holocaust has happened they're in shock yeah yeah like they know how screwed they are and they know they can't turn it around at this point right and and it's hard because you know maybe i'm too close to the issue so it's hard for me to like you could probably have better advice in my hometown than i could and vice versa yeah yeah. totally um i know where all the bodies are buried here i know what used to be right like i know like i remember going to the movie theater here, it, it, you know, on the corner, this beautiful marquee out front, and now it is a parking lot, fenced in parking lot, so that you can't, <laughs> with like the, a barbed wire topped fence for executives to park at this stupid Fleet Farm office building. Yeah, it, you know, I can't even talk about it without getting angry. Yeah. yeah, my blood pressure gets up when I just mentioning what happened with the high school. We had to have to bus a hundred percent of the kids there. Right. You know, it's frustrating. My brother's a firefighter in town. Uh, my other brother is a teacher, a gym teacher. It's you know, it's kind of funny. We, we, my brother is a gym teacher, firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the parallels are endless. It's um, if your community leaders could get out and go to places that have done worse. Yeah. Um, go to places like Brevard, North Carolina, where they get it, and they're just we need to grow our own wealth. This is our community. We're going to fight for it. What's amazing, and maybe this is what Grayson and I both see here, is. You have a tremendous asset in this region. You have the same tourism effect that a place like Asheville has. You have all these great lakes and wonderful natural environment, hiking trails, parks, all of that stuff. But Brainerd is the only one that's set up to be the there there for the restaurants and whatever. And you could capture that the way that Asheville does. Asheville's got 9 million tourists a year that go through it. They come to my town because, you know, you can't eat a hot dog hiking the trail. Right. You can't have a great Italian dinner out in a park. And if you could, why would you when you could go to this fantastic place with a whole bunch of choices and options and, it's a big and fun food court. stuff going on? Yeah. Right. And it's all unique. It's different. You're coming to a, a different community. Um, you know, I don't. I can get my chilies and Applebee's in Charlotte. Why would I go to a chili and Applebee's in Asheville? Right. You know, so I can right. do something different. And with Yelp and all the other technology changes, people have a tremendous amount of options at their fingertips. One of the things that we've thrown around at Strong Towns in the past, and it didn't make it into this strategic plan because it's not necessarily low hanging fruit, but you have me like thinking about it now again. We, we've talked about doing basically like tours. You know, you hear people who do. I listen to this one podcast called the Thomas Jefferson Hour, which is kind of a niche little thing. It's a guy who I actually want to have him on this podcast. Fascinating guy who does an impersonation of Thomas Jefferson. He he actually like answers questions as if he were Jefferson. And it's a fascinating way to like view history because they'll talk about events of the time and they'll talk about issues today and how Jefferson would maybe look at them. 
fascinating. But he does these historical tours where he'll like come to Monticello with me. And I've studied, I've written books on Jefferson. I know Jefferson and, and I'll get, there'll be a lecture, there'll be a tour. And I, I've thought that, you know, one of the things that, that would be helpful is to be able to do for cities, for, for leaders like this, maybe pique their intellectual curiosity a bit and say, okay, we're going to go spend three days in Charlotte. Why don't you come down with us? There'll be a lecture, there'll be walking tours, we'll have business people for you to meet, we'll have you know, builders, developers for you to meet, city officials for you to meet, and we'll basically show you how something different works. That'd be a great service. Would that be a great service? Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I think that if you could set that up, I mean, it, I'll, maybe you have a series of, you do, you know, for a year, once a quarter. Yeah. We're going to such and such. There's small cities, there's medium-sized cities, there's large cities, there's there's all sorts of examples cities that kind of get it and kind of figure it out, kind of like the, the Fargo folks, they get out and see these other places and they start to realize there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of lessons to learn good and bad. Well, in Lafayette, yeah, they're doing a trip to Charleston. They are. Yes. That's so there's, true. there's a group of leaders that are going somewhere else and they're just going to bomb the city in a, in a, in a week. Yeah. This happens all the time. Our, our business, uh, what I do for a living started because people kept on coming to Asheville and I would get trucked out to do these PowerPoints. Right. Come on, Joe, show them what happened. Yeah, show us what happened. And, <laughs> and so people started asking us to do the same analysis that we did in Asheville. So it was kind of a natural growth for us. But but it was just, you run into these people. I think it was Sarasota, Florida that was the ones that were, were our first um, client. So I've heard about that. Someone gives a presentation on that. There's actually. a lot of people, actually. Um, <laughs> That's a terrible inside joke. <laughs> anyway... Um, but if, but if you could like maybe have a checkbox, like what are your issues of your community? Are you a tourism community? Are you a main street community? Are, and just go through the list. What's your population size? Yeah. And then that filters out from your, for your members, what would be the best trip for them to go? Right. Um, you know, could, could somebody from Brainerd learn something about San Francisco or Portland? Certainly. Right. But it may be a it little bit too, fit, right? too abstract. But to survey your, your members and say, okay, what are the things that your, your hot button issues? Can I, can I tell you something that might, like a certain segment of our podcast listeners are just going to roll their eyes going, what a, what a fool. I used to take my employees, uh, back when I ran the consulting firm, I did this, uh, instead of throwing like an end of the year, like a, a party, I took that money and I put them on a plane and I brought them down to Florida and we went to Disney world because all Disney world is, is like a hyper reality of, like good design, right? I'm not claiming that it's like reality, right? Because you've got forced perspective and, and all these things. But basically, like every design technique or trick that you would use, you can find at Disney World. Plus, I just like it. So we, we get off the plane, go to Epcot Center. I, I would show them like around, give them a tour. They've got a boardwalk right next to it, which is like this eating place with, you know, mixed use kind of a condo units above we'd look at that then we'd go spend the night in celebration walk around you know the new urbanist development the next day and then head over to the magic kingdom main street look at the force perspective terminating your vistas all, all, everything is there right ride a couple rides and then get on a, a plane and fly home and it, it was like my crash course in basic design principles 
in a way that was fun. And of course, in, in Minnesota, going to Florida in December is always a good time because it's, it's, it's warm, warm, right? Yeah. It's sunny too. Yeah. And so that, that worked out really well. Maybe we could, um, my wife was a little skeptical of, of that idea. She said, you just want to go because you want to go, not because you want to teach anybody anything. <laughs> what I try to do is get people to see the, the corporate effect that this is a business that's got to run with business principles. But Disney is essentially a city. You know, it's got, a, oh, yeah. it's got its own sanitary system. It's got all of that stuff. It's got a whole city behind the city. If you can, what would be also kind of fun is to get, get the back tour. I've done it. Where you go through the tunnels. You go through the tunnels and it's, have you ever done it? I haven't done that. Oh my gosh. It's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, they've got that thought through. This is an economic machine that works very, very well. Right. And you know, they don't, they don't blame each other for anything. They have, they actually have a design guideline for how your hair has to be cut. Yeah. It's an incredible detail. Right. For anybody that works there and how it operates because they've thought it through and they've tried a lot of things. And they've grown smartly, and it's not—it's not a way to you know they didn't they didn't blame somebody for mishandling a ride. They just learned a lesson and moved forward. Well, going to actually spending time at the Disney Resort opened my eyes to the whole roads and streets argument that I've been making for a, a decade now. You know, you go and you stay at a resort, which is basically like a city. You've got high density housing with eating options and recreation options. You're going to go to one of the theme parks, which is basically like another city just without housing. You get on a bus or you get on a light rail line or you you drive, but there aren't like strip things in between. It's just you go from one spot to the other. And then you get there and you get out and you're on a street, which has all the stuff you want to be in. Yeah. For people who, like me, do not start life as an urbanist, it's like a gateway drug that is not threatening. Right. Yeah. You can you can actually talk about it in a way that, okay, remember how you enjoyed your Disney vacation? Like, look at this. Like, here's why. And people say, oh, okay, well, that's not offensive to me. Like, telling me that those people are going to move into the you yeah. know, high-density apartment. Right. Yeah. We can't use the word urbanism here. No. Um, no. I still would argue to go to other places because uh, – but I do think the, the Disney model is a good one because it is a, a kind of a, a, a rarefied, purified form. That is a, at a high level of design. A super, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get away with doing a Disney tour. My wife will, will put the kibosh on that. And I think that like our, our members would probably be like, you got to up your game a little bit from yeah. that, Chuck. <laughs> I mean, you, you go anyway, so you might as well have some people right. go along with you. Right. It's just that you, you lose your personal relationship with your family at that point. Yeah, exactly. All of these other people with you. But, um, you, you know, you mentioned the, the public transit and what kind of struck me. I'm going to, drop back to, to Lafayette for a second in the um yeah the debate. Randall came over to me when I was setting up. It was kind of interesting. He was kind of asking me questions. And I just decided to drop some bombs on him just to kind of let him know. So I nerded out on some really, really super detailed stuff because it's it's sort of not cool to politicize a fact finding mission. Right. And and that's what that group, that camp wanted to do. Right. Rather than deal with the, the reality of the actual information, we're going to start talking about belief systems and just really, it's all great. You know, I believe in a lot of things, but I'm not going to run a city off my belief system. So, but that's what this group was saying. So it's like, let's get religious and not talk about data, uh, which is sort of disingenuous. But anyway, so I, I dropped on, um, on Randall. I said, did you know that the city spends or the parish spends 20 
million a year busing kids around. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, that's the most expensive public transit system I've ever seen. I've got to credit Josh McCarty for that. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> Josh showed me the numbers. He's the one that's – he's, he's the, the, the devil in the machine kind of digging out all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, he's the deepest in Lafayette in our firm. And and he showed me that number, and I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, look, it's not – it's not that they don't have a, a public transit system. They do. They only just, only kids are allowed to use it. Right. And if you start to think of your community that way, $20 million a year just to put kids into the school, and you're spending that as your price of admission, that's expensive. Ridiculously expensive. Do, do kids learn anything on the bus? You know, do they, you know, other than. Like sure, they learn each lots other. of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots of life skills are learned. That's on probably the bus. true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> we well, gotta run. Okay. We gotta go catch a plane. We gotta get some uh, potato olays at Taco John's uh, on our I'm way out of town. I, I know. I'm excited to share that with you. <laughs> Quick last question: Where are you headed next? I am headed to Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, for uh, a land use Michigan land use institute conference. What what other stuff you got coming up? We're going to be together in Sonoma County. We're going to be in Sonoma County together. We're going to be California. In, yeah, yep. we're going to be in Lafayette together in November. Yep, hopefully, I'm going to be in Fort Myers, Florida, at some point in two weeks. We should have everything on our events page on our website. Although I don't know, I haven't looked at my web page in a while. Tell me your web address again. It's Urban, Urban Three. Urban hyphen three three is spelled out dot com. Oh, we're going to be in Maine together. You and I are going to be in Maine together. Thank you for reminding me of that. I, I would feel bad if I forgot that With, one. With uh, Jane LaFleur and... Yep. Build uh, Maine. Yeah. Build Maine Conference. Jane's awesome. Absolutely. She's been trying to put this one together for a while with you and me. I think John Anderson's going to be there too, so that'll be really great. And I'm going to be in New Orleans at a in, I think, November. Oh, also Durango, Colorado at their... I think, I, I think New Orleans is next month. I think it's October. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you want more from Joe, urban-3.com. Yes, sir. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. It's fun to finally get you here. Now I know Brainerd. You do. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Chuck Marone, this has been incredible. (laughs) Take care. that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah. Whole Foods. 
gentrification in edible form. Now, this week, Whole Foods found itself in something of an all-natural, hand-picked, locally-grown pickle. Those are stalks of asparagus just soaking in a jar of water for sale at a Whole Foods store in Los Angeles, you guys, for $6. Okay, okay. first, nobody should be buying pre-made asparagus water when you make it yourself every time you eat asparagus. And, and second, $6? Water is free, and a pound of asparagus from Whole Foods costs $5. <laughs> Understandably, their customers were not happy about this, but the store itself insisted it was just an honest mistake. Whole Foods now says the drink was supposed to be water infused with the essence of vegetables, like asparagus, but was made incorrectly, and it's been removed. Yeah, that doesn't sound any less terrible. Oh, we won't just sell you asparagus stalks in a jar of water. We, we take the asparagus out first and then sell you the jar of water. That way we could call the leftover wet asparagus artisanally moistened and sell it for three times the price. It's the Whole Foods way. Also...